The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Open our Bibles and I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You can find that on page 958. Turn in your copy of God's Word with me there. We are continuing uh, our walk through varied aspects of Christian worship, distinctive aspects of Christian worship under the understanding that these things promote in us both reverence for God and awe in His presence, reverence and awe, the beauty of Christian worship. And this morning we are looking at the Lord's Supper, or as we're calling it this morning, the Covenant Meal from 1 Corinthians and chapter 11. I was sharing uh, last Sunday evening that I did not grow up in a church that held the sacraments in very high regard. The sacraments were something that were visible and a part of our church services, but not held in very much esteem. And so for me, they weren't special in any sense. And uh, even as a, as a young person growing up with the understanding that, uh, you know, communion was nothing more than uh, snack time during church, uh, which I thought was a neat thing, but without any understanding whatsoever. And so uh, growing up in that context, I certainly didn't try to understand more of what was going on and why they mattered. But when the people of God gather together, there is a, a beautiful depth and richness to the fellowship that we enjoy as the people of God coming together celebrating the Lord's Supper. And one of the most important things for your Christian life as a growing Christian is to grow in your understanding of what God has given the sacraments for and how you as a believer come together with other believers to celebrate the gospel there at the Lord's Supper. And so uh, this morning we want to grow in that understanding. We want to grow in our understanding of what the sacraments are and what they mean, and particularly the Lord's Supper, what is happening as we celebrate it there. And so as you look at your outline there in your bulletin, you'll see that we're just going to look at a few points. One is the picture of the Lord's Supper, but also the promise of the Lord's Supper, and then conclude with just some practicalities, very nuts and bolts, very simple things, maybe some questions that you have had. And there's also on the backside of your outline just some more details there about the Lord's Supper, But as we look at the text, and just a few comments before we pray and read the text, we are looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 because Paul is here addressing some things that the church in Corinth really struggled with. And one of those things, as we look particularly in chapter 11, is they really struggled with a basic understanding of what is happening in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. They lacked a basic understanding of what the sacrament was for. Now, as we think about that text and as we read it and think about it together, there is a lot that could be said about the Lord's Supper. Uh, in fact, I've got an entire shelf uh, in, in my study just dedicated to books about sacraments and particularly communion. There's so much that could be said. Uh, there's so much that could be said about what Jesus is saying here as he celebrates the Passover with his disciples, as he draws together both Old Testament and New Testament to say this is what the gospel is all about as he explains so much of what the Old Testament was foreshadowing and picturing. Jesus explains that saying, I am the Lamb of God. But but for all the things that we could say, we're going to follow Paul's explanation here and find Jesus giving that explanation. Here is bread. This is my body. Here is a cup and this is my blood. Do this. Do this and remember me. The Corinthians' problem was that they had taken the Lord's Supper for granted. 
they had forsaken the most basic understanding of the Lord's Supper and what is to be held in high regard was brought down to a level of such ordinariness that they even uh, disrespected the supper with the way that they celebrated it. They actually got themselves into a lot of trouble with how they celebrated, desecrating the sacrament. Now, we don't want to do that, of course, but you and I have the same temptations that the Corinthians experienced in the sense that it's easy It's easy for these uh, elements of reverence, these elements of Christian worship to become so repetitive for us that we just kind of tune out and go through the motions, not even giving due consideration to what is happening. The Corinthians face that risk and we face that risk as well. We don't want these things to become casual as we do them month by month, but we want our hearts. We want our hearts to be captured by the beauty of what Jesus promises to us here when he breaks bread and pours out the cup. And so we want to hear what Jesus has to say to us through the Apostle Paul. So let's pause and pray and ask God's blessing upon his word as we seek to understand the picture and promises and practicalities of the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you that here you give to us your word, your word which is the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven and the food of eternal life. So Lord, as your spirit so moved Paul to record these words for us, may that same spirit gather our hearts, rest upon our minds to illuminate our minds, to understand, to prepare our hearts to receive. So Lord, come, speak a powerful word to us and instruct us, strengthen us and help us to grow this morning, Lord, we ask. In the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now hear God's word from 1 Corinthians in chapter 11, starting at verse 23 through verse 29. This is the word of God. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. And we'll keep our Bibles open and look at this text together. So again, you see here Paul reciting, recounting back to the Corinthian church the instruction of the Lord Jesus as we know him giving in the Gospels. Familiar words, familiar actions. But we just want to consider uh, what is it that's happening here Why has Jesus given this to us and how will our uh, deepening understanding of this cause us to grow in our faith, grow in our trust, 
to see Jesus as more worthy and more lovely in our sight than he has been in the past. And again, you see your outline there, just three points that we want to look at. The picture of the Lord's Supper, the promise of the Lord's Supper, and the practicalities as well. And so let's first of all think about the picture of the Lord's Supper and encourage you to look again in verse 23, like back to verse 23 in chapter 11 and find Paul taking us back to that night that Jesus was arrested. Uh, Paul, of course, as an apostle, he was not there himself. Uh, And so Paul is not recounting these words from memory in terms of what he watched Jesus say, but he does write that he received this from the Lord. Uh, In other words, the disciples who were there saw it visually themselves, but Paul had to be instructed from the Lord Jesus later on about what had happened. The same thing that the other disciples saw when they who were gathered around the table with the Lord uh, watched him, saw him break the bread, pour out the cup, And when they saw him do this, they also heard Jesus say to them, do this. Do this in the sight of those who will call me their Savior. Do this among and with those who will follow my teaching as you instruct them. Do this with them. And here is Paul giving this instruction again to the church at Corinth. Break the bread, pour out the cup, and do it in remembrance of the Lord Jesus. Eat and drink with remembrance. And the reason why... That action is given, you see in verse 24 and verse 25, in remembrance. The act of remembering is perhaps one of the most important aspects of the celebration of the supper because the Lord's Supper is a picture. It is a picture. We want to understand what that picture is, a picture of something greater. Of course, the bread pointing to Jesus' body, the cup pointing to his blood, but they are pictures, they are signs, they function for a very particular purpose. And you and I understand how signs work. When you're driving down the highway and you're going to your appointed destination, let's say you're going home and you know that when you get to this point, you're so many miles away or maybe there's a sign there that says five miles from your destination. What do you do? Well, you certainly don't get out and celebrate the sign. You don't get out and celebrate around that sign itself. Why? Because you understand the purpose of a sign. The purpose of a sign is to point beyond itself to what it is signifying. In the same sense, we don't celebrate the bread and the cup itself. We signify them as a sign of what they point to, the greater reality, namely the body and blood of Christ himself. So the Lord's Supper functions in this way as a sign, as a picture picture of Jesus' words, giving his body to be broken and his blood to be shed for sinners, to be shed for sinners like like us. As As a sign, as a picture, the broken body, the shed blood reminds us of Jesus' death. And what is it about that death? It is, of course, a sacrificial death. Jesus did not die to simply demonstrate something to us or show us a certain way of living. Jesus died a sacrificial death in our place and for our benefit. His body is broken in ways that our body will not be broken in judgment because his body was. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, for the wrath that we deserve because of our sins. And Jesus' death is a sacrificial one, yielding his life for the forgiveness of our sins. Do not allow your heart to grow cold to this amazing reality that there is one who has gone in your rightful place. 
one who has answered for your sins, paid the penalty for your debts, so that we can sing together amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me, me a sinner, me the guilty one, you the innocent one in my place. The Lord's Supper as a picture helps us to remember this. And even the act of the celebration itself, it shows us something about the truth of the gospel, doesn't it? Think about the way in which the Lord's Supper is administered. And think of, think of your actions as you observe the Lord's Supper together with the people of God. You sit in the pew. You, you sit there. You're not breaking the bread. You're not pouring out the cup. It's being done for you. In that sense, you are passive. You don't come up to help me break the bread and pour out the cup. You can imagine perhaps that the disciples, as they observed the Lord Jesus doing this, they were so intently watching the actions that he is doing. He's breaking. He is pouring it out. The disciples only watched, and we only watched, and we are passive. He is active. He is the one at work. And I want us to see how beautifully that pictures the pattern of the gospel and how grace works. We receive grace. We don't achieve grace. We are passive in our reception of the grace offered to us in the gospel. We come hungry and God fills us. We come empty and God supplies all of our needs. We come guilty and God supplies the grace. We are passive and he is active. We are spectators and the banquet of the Lord's Supper is spread out and the invitation is given to come. And we do it all with outstretched and empty hands. That's how you receive. We want to think about the way that that pictures how grace works in and of itself. We don't bring something to God that, that, that builds our sense of worthiness. We simply come with empty hands, outstretched to receive. And when you receive bread and cup with outstretched and empty hands, think that that is how God receives us as well. Not bringing something to him that we might be worthy in his sight, but outstretched and empty to receive grace. In the, in the Scottish tradition, usually communion is only observed a couple of times a year. And uh, usually after what is called a communion season, where rather than individual churches celebrating communally independently, churches and regions would gather together to have communion feasts, communion celebrations, where throughout the entire week you would hear five to six sermons in preparation for the Lord's Supper coming only maybe a couple of times a year. And one uh, Scottish pastor, Robert Murray McShane, who died a very young man, but a well-established preacher. He was one of the preachers to preach during the five to six sermons. But he said, after that week-long season of preparation, it was the bread and cup itself that preached the best sermon. The visual representation, the picture of broken bread and poured out cup that preached the best sermon of all. The Lord's Supper preaches the gospel to us in what it pictures. But it's not just a picture. When we see the instructions to do this in remembrance of me, it is not just a bare symbol. It has a wonderful promise attached to it. And so we want to see not just the picture, but also the promise. Sacraments are a visible testimony of the promises of God, and they do something. Something happens. Something is actualized and realized when we participate in sacramental remembrance. Look at verse 26. Thinking about the promise of the Lord's Supper, Paul says in verse 26, 
that this is done. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There is an act of proclamation. Uh, not, just a, 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 not just a remembrance, but a, an act of proclamation. In other words, you become a preacher. You become a preacher in your proclamation of what you believe, what you hold fast, what you honor, what you receive, what you trust, what you love. You proclaim the death of Christ. It makes the promise even more real to us. When you take the bread and take the cup, this promise is realized even more to us as God's grace and faithfulness are confirmed to us so that we can say, not just generally, that Jesus died for sinners and for sinners in general, but that Jesus died for my sins, the sins that I feel guilty for, the sins that I bear upon my conscience. He died for my sins. So that as the promise of the gospel is issued, that there is forgiveness in Christ's name, it would be sealed to your heart with confidence that that is my promise. That is true of me in my soul. That is through this covenantal meal, Jesus is present with us through our faith as we look to him and trust in him to realize that we are his and he is ours. And there's something about the act that, that, that inclines us to know that this is more than just some physical act of eating and drinking. Something in your soul stirs, doesn't it, when this, when this happens. The emblems of the body and blood are set before us. They're, they're put into our hands. They're taken into our mouths. And as we think of the love of the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus who died for you, the Lord Jesus who rose for you. The Lord Jesus who ascended to the Father's right hand to intercede for you continually. It is this Lord Jesus who promises to us that he is ours and we are his. It's supposed to move your soul in remembrance of the seal of God's promises. Almost as if the Lord Jesus comes to, to take us by the hand and confirm his promises to us again. To comfort our troubles. To speak peace into our distress. To say you are loved when you feel so burnt out. You are cared for. Speaking words of grace when we cry out for mercy. And that's what a sacrament does. It's that sacred moment. It's sacred because he's coming to seal the promises of the gospel, to confirm them to us again as the Lord Jesus meets us by his spirit in that moment when you feel that your faith is like a stretched out cracked rubber band that is about to snap. It comes speaking a tender word of mercy to strengthen you, to comfort you, to give you peace, to encourage you to keep on walking because you need food to live. And your soul needs that strength as well. You need that peace as well. The Lord's Supper is the grace banquet that's spread out that provides that. It seals all of God's promises to us. Your sins, all of them, are forgiven. And this is the unspeakable treasure of the promise of the Lord's Supper as well. So it is not just a picture. It involves those promises. But oftentimes, perhaps, it's, it's usually these practical things that that really stand in the way of a deeper understanding of why we do what we do. And it's our hope that in the context of this sermon series that we're getting very practical and trying to explain more of what is it that we do and why do we do it and what does it mean? 
so that in our celebration of those elements of the Christian worship, our, our understanding increases and our, our worship uh, goes higher, it soars higher in the power of the Spirit. So what about, what about these things? You see these questions there on your outline. There are some on the back there that speak to these things as well. But I just want to touch on them uh, very clearly because our understanding of them will help us. Do you know that we don't call this an altar? This is not called an altar. This is called a table. And very practically because altars are where sacrifices are made. And we do not continue to sacrifice Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that he was sacrificed once for all time. So we do not come to an altar to re-sacrifice in the sacrament. We come to a table to remember the one sacrifice that was made. One time for all time to remember. This is a communion table, not an altar. Why is it, why is it that the elders come forward and proceed and then recede out to serve you the sacraments in their hands and to give them to you? Why do they do that? What, what, what is pictured in that, in that moment is it is an expression of their shepherding ministry to bring Christ to you. To bring Jesus to the people of God in tangible ways that they can receive. To bring the truth of the gospel to bear upon the lives of God's people. It's what they do. Uh, your elders aren't administrators. They're not a board of directors. They're not most fundamentally doing business. They are bringing Christ to the people of God in their service, their shepherds. Who should come? Who should come? Who is invited to the Lord's Supper? And the short answer to that is all baptized believers. Notice in verse 27, uh, Paul speaks words here that oftentimes lead to a lot of confusion and are really behind all of the processing that we should be doing about who should come and who should not come. As Paul speaks of verse 27, the possibility of an unworthy eating and drinking. What does that mean? Who should come? Well, all those baptized and with a profession of faith and trust in the Lord Jesus should come. Even if you're not a member of this church, if you're a member of another church, perhaps, uh, there are some churches that prohibit non-members from communing at the supper, and they do so because they regard their solemn responsibility to protect the Lord's Supper. But uh, we certainly wouldn't want to hinder your believing friends, your believing grandmother, your believing uh, nephew, your believing grandchildren uh, from coming and sharing in the fellowship of the Lord's Supper if they are visiting us at our church. So, so far as someone is baptized and professes faith in the Lord Jesus, the Lord's Supper is for them. The Lord's Supper is for them and they are invited. But one of the things that I've oftentimes received comments about is that uh, when we observe the Lord's Supper, we also say a certain aspect of restriction. Again, looking at verse 27, unworthiness. Who, is, who should come? Who should not come? I hear very clearly that the unbeliever should not come. The one who does not trust in Christ as Savior and Lord should not come. Why? Now, this is not the table of Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church. This is not a Presbyterian table. It is the Lord's 
table. And so therefore it is a, we use this terminology, a fenced table. There is a prohibition that all should come who trust and all who do not trust should not come. Why? Because if they were to take the bread and cup, they would be lying. They would be saying something about themselves that is not true. And therefore, in Paul's own instruction, being guilty of the body and blood of Christ and eating and drinking to themselves judgment. They would be lying if they were to partake. And this is an exercise of faithful shepherding to say to the gathered congregation, come, but only come if you're in Christ. And it may make your, your visitors, your friends, your family, it may make them uncomfortable. But it's important for you perhaps to explain to them, why do we do this? Why is this necessary? And it is at that moment when you have perhaps one of the most important opportunities to explain the gospel. Bread and cup are there, and it is at that moment that a decision must be made. There is no neutral. There is coming to receive in full trust and forsaking myself, or there is the insistence that my works qualify me before God and I don't need this Savior, and a decision must be made. And it may be perhaps awkward, It may be perhaps on the surface unsettling, but it is an act of faithfulness, as Paul instructs, to come worthily and with faith. We'll think more about that in just a moment, but another question that oftentimes people ask is, what about my children? What about my grandchildren? What about my nieces and and my nephews? Those are important reflections and keeping with what Paul is instructing here to the Corinthians about a good and orderly celebration of the supper. Those things matter as well. When the sacrament is passed in the pew, it's a wonderful opportunity for you parents, for you grandparents, for you aunts, uncles, to teach, to, to talk to your children, to talk to them about what they understand, their understanding about Jesus Normally, the way a child gains access to the table is through the normal means of a communicants class where they are instructed and then confirmed in their faith and trust as adequately appropriate and mature enough to be able to come in a way that the session determines to be uh, legitimate, worthy. Or you may, you may know that your child possesses a certain understanding uh, that regardless of their age, they have a sufficient grasp. Jesus is our Savior, and here he promises to us to forgive our sins, and we should trust in him. It may be that your child or grandchild or niece or nephew is able to communicate that in a way that they shouldn't have to wait until they're 13, 14, 15. What should you do? You should bring them to an elder. You should talk to the session and and let them shepherd you through that process of explaining the Lord's Supper to your children, to your grandchildren, nieces, and nephews. It's a wonderful opportunity. But this, I think... This last question is perhaps most important because if you're like me, you hear Paul's instruction, again, in verse 27, not to eat unworthily, and you say to yourself, I don't feel worthy. What about about when I don't feel worthy? What about when I don't feel especially spiritual? What about when I've had a rotten week? What about when the last time I was in church was last communion Sunday and I've missed this many Sundays and surely God's mad at me. If you have those types of thoughts, 
If you have those types of things that are working through your head, what is, what is the Lord's Supper proclaiming to you who say, I don't feel worthy? Know very clearly that when Paul says eating and drinking unworthily is a thing to avoid, he does not mean that it is possible for you to reach a certain level of spirituality that qualifies you as worthy. What makes you worthy to come to the Lord's Supper and receive the assurance of His grace there is not the amount of things that you do or things that you refuse to do or whatever the case might be. What qualifies the Christian believer and makes them worthy is not something that they do, but what qualifies us and makes us worthy, what gives us the right to come is that we know that we have a need of a Savior. And that's it. If you know that you have need of a Savior, that is all the worthiness that God requires of you. Because when you say that, you are declaring that all the worthiness is in Him. All the worthiness is in Christ, and I come to Him empty-handed. That is all that is needed. Or listen to the way that Calvin explains this verse. This is the worthiness. This is the best and only kind we can bring to God to offer our vileness and our unworthiness to him so that in his mercy we may be taken as worthy, to despair in ourselves so that we may be lifted up by him, to accuse ourselves so that we may be justified by him. Again, with the picture of outstretched and empty hands. So then, if it's helpful to you, think about it like this. I'd venture to guess that you have received a lot of wedding invitations in your life. You've even been on the the sending end of those invitations. I don't know about you, but I have never received a wedding invitation that requested me to enclose a check to cover the cost of the meal. Why? Because it's been paid for. Perhaps at great cost. And the Lord Jesus extends himself to you. The Father invites you saying, come. The price has been paid. Come and celebrate. Come and be thankful. Come and behold the union between Christ and his people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in the Lord's Supper you proclaim your grace to us. We thank you for both the picture and the promise. And we pray, Lord, that through your Spirit that you would increase our faith, that you would give us greater willingness to trust and a greater delight into surrendering all of ourselves to all that Christ is. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.